You're listening to the Wheeler Centre's Fifth Estate podcast. This week, host Sally Warhaft welcomes Marcia Langton and Megan Davis to talk about the constitutional recognition of Indigenous Australians. Why should it happen? What form should it take? And how would it affect Australian society? Recorded live at the Wheeler Centre on Tuesday the 7th of June 2016, this episode is called Real Recognition. Uh, it's a real joy tonight to be welcoming uh, two amazing women to this stage. Uh, Megan Davis is a Professor of Law and Director of the Indigenous Law Centre at the University of New South Wales. Marsha Langton is the Foundation Professor of Australian Indigenous Studies at the University of Melbourne. Individually, these women in different ways have served Australia in their contributions to understanding Indigenous life, Indigenous politics, Indigenous law. Uh, Together, they've served as members of the Prime Minister's expert panel on the recognition of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders and uh, in the Constitution. They've also co-edited this book, Uh, It's Our Country, Indigenous Arguments for Meaningful Constitutional Recognition and Reform. Please give Marsha and Megan a very warm welcome. We're here tonight uh, to talk about what lies ahead in forging a relationship between the First Peoples and the Australian community and the state that is meaningful and truthful and empowered. Um, and I'll start with a little quote from your, your essay, Megan, in this book. It, it so happens that we live on the continent that was colonised by a polity that both chose not to enter into a treaty and drafted the world's most difficult to change constitution, uh, which is a, an elegant uh, description of two truths. Uh, can you tell us first, each of you, and I'll start with you, Megan, um, what you mean by the term recognition? up the entire hour. Um, Well, I mean, I'm I'm a constitutional lawyer, so I only think of recognition within, I suppose, that um, discourse. And recognition is a a spectrum. So recognition can be many things to many people. Um, It might be something as simple as a mere acknowledgement, um, or it might be a treaty. Um, And in constitutional political, legal theory, there is, there is a spectrum. And at one, one end, there is a kind of acknowledgement. And then at the other end, there is a um, much stronger forms of recognition, such as something like a treaty. So that's how I see it on a spectrum. And where Australia lands, I'm not sure at this point. Marcia? Oh, it's a, it's a huge question. So last week we were at the National Native Title Conference in Darwin and during our session on these issues, a man stood up at the back and talked about his native title determination and the agreement that they'd done with some company and, and, and said the name of his people and said, well, you know, our people are recognised in the, in the agreement and in the native title determination. So what do you think of that? And, you know, basically, there it is. 
there are already forms of recognition. So you have here in Victoria, for instance, as I pointed out to Jeff Clark, recognition of the Indigenous people in the Victorian Constitution. You also have the Aboriginal Settlement Act. You also have, I'm not sure if it's nine native title determinations in Victoria. Uh, anyway, people said, well, what's your answer to that, Marcia? I said, well, he's right. Because if you look at even, um, well, not so traditional political science, um, you know, ideas about who peoples are, I mean, look at, you know, the terrible wars in Eastern Europe in the 90s, you know. Um, Sarajevo, the Croatians, the Bosnians, the Serbs. Well, what were they trying to do? They were trying to carve out a place for their people out of, you know, layers and layers of uh, historical domination. And, of course, you know, all sorts of nastiness was wrapped up in it. And then, you know, with uh, uh, the end of the civil war there, you had constitutions being drafted. Well, we looked at all of that when we were doing research on this in the early days of our agreements, treaties and negotiated settlements project, which is all online. And, um, you know, there are peoples all over the world, uh, many of whom are not recognised in any formal way, but there are many forms of recognition. Um, so you have treaties, you have constitutions, you have contracts. Uh, Mabo decision. The Mabo decision. Aboriginal Land Rights Act. The Aboriginal Land Rights Act. You know, all for all kinds oh, of recognition. So what we're talking about here is constitutional recognition, which is a very different problem. And I'm going to leave that to the lawyers. But I do have a few comments to make. The people I've spoken to, you know, in deep discussion about what it might mean in the constitution really want a vehicle for what that man in Darwin was talking about. You know, how do particular peoples become, you know, a part of the nation? So, you know, it would be wonderful. I don't think we're ever going to achieve it, but it would be wonderful if there was a way to do that. But, you know, we can do it in a multi-layered way. So maybe in the Constitution you have something, maybe in legislation you have something, and then you have all these other forms of recognition. When you no. say, I don't think we're ever going to achieve it, what do you mean? Well, you know, say, for instance, um, we have a very di different history from the United States of America where you have many treaties, you have many tribal governments, and I believe every year there's a, a march of the, um, the tribes with their flags, right? They have a gathering of all the tribal governments in the United States, and each one of them carries their flag. So could we have that? Well, no, not in that way, because the British government, um, unlike in uh, the colonies in North America, refused to uh, negotiate treaties here. So we have to go about it in a different way. But wouldn't it be nice if the First Nations here, as many of them do, have flags, actually, you know, meet and hold their flags up and, you know, I think be formally recognised by the nation as existing, as, as polities, you know? This debate uh, around our constitution, recognition, the recognised campaign, um, it, it had at least started with a sort of ambiguous multi-party support. 
widespread public support, mm. but it's it's drifted. Mm. It's it's it. There's a sense that it's drifted, and that it is now very very divided. I'm wondering if you can. Uh, First of all, is that is that a true reading? Uh, oh, but also, Megan, what are the the various important divisions within Indigenous Australia that we need to understand? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't I don't think it's divided. I think recognition is a highly selective concept that is a subject of much political contestation. Like that is what recognition is. I think it was originally chosen because uh, those who chose the word thought that it might avoid the kinds of complexities that we now face in Australia, um, in that the dictionary meaning of recognition is acknowledgement. And you hear many, many journalists, especially ABC journalists, and um, many politicians say that this is about recognition in terms of acknowledgement, and that's not at all where we are. The drift, I think, is, is, is as a consequence of the very, this is, sounds quite self-serving, but the very excellent work that the expert panel did, um, which Marcia and I were both <laughs> members of, um, um, in that uh, when we went out to communities to talk to Aboriginal communities and, and non-Indigenous communities about what recognition means to them, the biggest issue that was, I suppose, ventilated by them was discrimination, was racial discrimination. And we had consultations in many Aboriginal communities that were former reserves and missions. So there were many non-Indigenous members of our committee that were exposed to um, areas of Australia that were the subject of compulsory racial segregation that occurred in this nation for... How long, Mars? About a century? Well, it ended in Queensland formally in 1984. Yeah, the last vestiges of yeah. racial segregation. That was the last place in Australia, right? Yeah. That I know of, for, where in there was formal segregation in Queensland. It was the end of the uh, what, Community Services Act, which was actually an, uh, you know... No, anyway... An I act mean, of segregation, yeah. The, the point is... There were, there were many members of our panel that didn't realise there was this period of compulsory racial segregation. Um, and in fact, many of the non-Indigenous communities that we visited didn't know either. So as a consequence of that, some of the recommendations that we put forward are ones aimed at disciplining the capacity of the parliament to make racially discriminatory laws. And it is, it, you know, it is that that has created this drift, because I suspect that the political class went into this thinking it was just going to be about acknowledgement and that it was going to be simple and it was going to be easy to do. Well, just explain that clause, that difficult, the, the part that people are not in agreement about. Well, there's, there's in fact two, or three. Um, so the first clause is a what's known as a racial non-discrimination clause, which is what some politicians have called a uh, one-clause bill of rights. E except it's not a bill of rights, it's just one right, which is a discipline on the parliament in terms of their capacity to make racially discriminatory laws. 
And when we went out to Australian communities, and I'm talking about non-Indigenous Australian communities, they quite liked that idea, the idea of fettering the parliament's capacity to make racist laws. Um, so we know from the polling and, and subsequent recognised polling that this is still the most popular option among the Australian people, um, but it's not amongst politicians. Um, the other provision is to do with a replacement power for the racial uh, for the races power, section 5126, um, and that has objections for all sorts of very complex constitutional reasons that I don't probably shouldn't talk about here because it's not very interesting to talk about. And, um, and, and, and then section 25, which is a dead letter provision of the constitution, um, which is being erroneously described as a provision that prevents Aboriginal people from voting. That's not the case, but um, it, in any event, it has widespread political support for its, you know, um, deletion from the Constitution, um, but as, as, as some very prominent conservative and non-conservative people said, you know, you've got a dollar, why would you waste 40 cents on section 25 when it's a dead letter? So there's some of the provisions pertaining to race in the Constitution that we're looking at. The essays in, I think there's 17, is that right? Um, mm. Anyway, numerous uh, essays uh, by... Yes. Uh, good. Prominent uh, uh, and very different uh, Australian in, Indigenous thinkers. Um, there, it, there is consensus in these essays about wanting change that is... Uh, not symbolic, not simply symbolic, that it's something uh, empowering. But there, there are many, many views on how that should come about um, and strong views. Um, the, the 17 people who have, who have written these, these pieces, um, I, I suspect if you got them all in a room, uh, you, you'd walk out uh, with no agreement at all. It, that's how it reads. So how 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 do you then put it as a, a dispute between politicians and Indigenous Australia as if it is a cohesive, united uh, uh, community of, of, of people? I sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> I, I think that they would walk walk out with agreement actually, um, and I think I don't. I knew you'd do that. Can you hear me? Oh, I thought you were saying I was nuts. Can you? <laughs> no. no, it's because you keep moving the sorry, mic. Sorry, I'm sorry. All right, I won't move mic. it. Can I you hear move. Megan down the back? Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah, stop moving the mic, Megan, please. <laughs> <laughs> See, she just moved it. Yeah. Okay. yeah. No, I don't. It's okay. Um, <laughs> well, I thought that in Darwin, I thought the response to our panel was very good. Yes. And I thought that that reinforced what I thought. And but, that is I mean, what I'm talking about your own book. No, I've yeah. read the book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that people would walk away, actually, after very lengthy deliberations amongst Aboriginal people all over the country with an agreed process and package in terms of what we want to achieve. I do. It would mean that some of us have to compromise. Yeah. 
I don't think the political class will agree to what we would like ideally. Um, that's unfortunate because I think most Australians, if they understood the problem, would agree with us. However, as Megan said, there are conservative constitutional lawyers who don't want our constitution to have any amendment that looks like a quote, quote, bill of rights. They say that our constitution is not a rights-based document, that it's merely a rule book for government. So you can't have any rights in our constitution. Now, as Australia grows up, you'd think that, you know, we would be able to invent new traditions like, you know, having human rights in our constitution, but no, that's not permissible. So um, how persuasive they are, I don't know. I can't really gauge uh, that. But I do know that the risk of losing the referendum is so great because of a, you know, gaggle of people out there who think that we want more than other Australians have, even though we're the ones who've been excluded from the Constitution, <laughs> you know, um, quite formally. And um, the risk is so great, if we lose the, the referendum, we'll never, we'll never have the opportunity again to reform um, it. We got in trouble from the Australian the last time we said that, so... So the division... Remember that opinion piece? Yeah. Don't worry about anyone else while you're here at the Wheeler's End. No. That's all right. We'll deal with that later. I, I'm just not so sure about that. I mean, I think that if the referendum was lost, it is what it is, right? Well, you know, my view is if we lose the referendum and Australians say, no, we're not going to recognise Aborigines, yes, we're going to keep a racist constitution, fine, live with it. That's your problem. But it would, don't be, tell the it world. would be catastrophic <laughs> for your cause. Well, it, I don't know. I, I, mean, I, 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 I really... I, I, catastrophic for our cause. I mean, people say that all the time and they say, oh, race relations will be just absolutely set back. Well, can we just have an appraisal of race relations now? They're not that great. Sorry, I just... No, that, no, that no, notion no, that, I, no. but it, it mm. is put on to us... And I feel like our mob are put into a corner. And that is to say, you accept this because a failed referendum will be so bad for your people. I just feel that's said over and over again, and I'm not saying it's you, but I just think it's a huge thing to put on the shoulders of vulnerable people. So, look, let's have, just have a look at section 5126, which is the main, one of the main problems, right? So, section 51 is the part of the Constitution that gives the Parliament its law-making powers. It's called a head of power, correct? Yep. Head of power. So, you know, basically it says, you know, the Parliament shall have the power to make laws in relation to... ..and then there's a long list. And at number 26, which was one of the sections amended in 1967... ..after the 67 referendum, it's, it now says... Shall have the power to make the parliament shall have the power to make laws for I don't know the, the people the, of races. Sorry, races for the people for the people of any race for the yeah for yeah that's anyway something like that for the people of any race. Um, but it used to say before sixty seven for the people of any race except Aborigines. Now what most Australians don't understand um, is that. Therefore, until nine, 
1967 referendum and the amendment of the Constitution, the Parliament could not make laws for Aborigines. Could not. So there were no laws for Aborigines. It was only after that that there were laws that could be made that included us. So we were very formally excluded from the Constitution. We were also excluded by another racist bit of the Constitution until 67. Uh, the, 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 the Constitution empowers um, the Parliament to have, you know, the census take place. But the Constitution said that, the sen you know, there shall be a census and people shall be counted except for Aborigines. So we were never counted. And those two clauses together worked in such a way, in a variety of ways, to totally exclude us from the nation. And it was only the states that could have laws. The territories had some regulations, but the states had laws, and most of the state legislation was discriminatory. You know, so in Queensland, you basically had an apartheid system, which both of us grew up under. Mm -hmm. I don't know how old you were in 84, but I was a fully grown adult with at least one degree. And whenever I went home, well, as soon as I crossed the border, I was automatically a ward of the state. Most Australians don't know this about their own history. And when people say, you know, why do we have to give the Aborigines anything? What about us in the Constitution? Why don't, why don't we get recognised in the Constitution? It's like, hello, it's your Constitution. We're the ones that have been cut out of it. I don't, I don't get it. It's kind of, you know... Anyway, the, the logic gets reversed, but... So how do you change this lawmaking power so that, it, so that we don't have that kind of racism in the Constitution? Do you understand that if a, a, a nation state has the power to make laws for any race, you basically have a racist nation, right? You get that? Yeah. So, but in, and then historically, if the only race is Aborigines, because everybody else is normal and we're the only weirdos, <laughs> then you see it's us who are discriminated against. You, you, you know, when we were doing the Native Title Act, we'd say to politicians, well, we'd like Native Title to be protected by the Racial Discrimination Act. And then we get these arguments about, well, why do you get all this protection and we don't mm. get any protection? And you point out to them, well, if we're a race, then you must be, belong to a race. Sorry to try to point this logic out to you. And they'd say, we're not members of a race. You're the only member of a race. <laughs> OK, whatever. Um, you know, you just can't even get to first base because white people don't belong to a race. Only in the United States of America where you're officially classified as Caucasian when you cross that border. Here you're not classified as Caucasian because you're normal, right? <laughs> you're normal. We're the weirdos. You see what you see the problem. Of course, I I see the problem, but I also that does not diminish for me also seeing a significant political problem to take this to a referendum and fail. I I, I and and I see this anxiety throughout this book. This is not just me or 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 journalists or this is the authors of this book that have, have, have this and you can see that there are some in here that have started off wanting so much they've pulled back uh, there's a there seems to be fear among some people about 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 over overreaching in terms of political 
what is is seen as feasible uh, and, a, and a lack of consensus and how much to ask for. And, and it's painful to read it. Sure, it, but, but it's not uncommon in Australia. It's the same as any um, proposal that's put up for amendment to the Australian Constitution. It hasn't changed for... Is it 40 years now? Of which most, of course, fail, and we hear that time changed. and time again. No, 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 but it matters. Yep. It really matters. Mm. Um, it is a very difficult constitution to change, and a lot of people have said, you guys are nuts. Why are you even going for it? Well, partly because Gillard set up an expert panel to um, consider this notion of recognition that has um, been in a number of political parties... Um, platforms for a long time, but um, Australians can't change the constitution. It's not an easy thing to do. What's the feeling coming out of uh, the government, the opposition, we're in an election campaign? Have you heard it mentioned? No, I have not. No, no. Look, we know that there are two or three good answers to the problem. You know, it's all set out very clearly in the expert panel report, but try to find a politician who's read it. They haven't read it. You know? Try to find a politician who even knows what we're talking about. I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but I had to get my head around all of this stuff. It is It is very complicated at that legal, constitutional... I mean, I'm... I'm it's well, not that I mean, complicated it, it, when you it understand it. Yeah, we've well, been doing it for seven is. years, but mm. if you actually read the report... No, I don't mean you, but... A lot of journalists and a lot of politicians haven't read it. That's why they keep talking about a preamble and symbolism. And, uh, I mean, that doesn't help the complexity of what's actually going on in the Indigenous domain. OK, but let's okay, let's start there, Megan. Can I ask a question? Of course. Megan, why can't we just, you know, as many people say to us, why don't we just have a preamble? <laughs> well, in the course... On, sorry, I was just pushing it away just then. Um, in the course of the work that we did on the expert panel, it was um, universal that you can't have a preamble to the Australian Constitution. You already have one. Um, and in addition to that, there was a concern from many constitutional lawyers that if you just put three lines of recognition at the top of the Australian part of the Constitution... Um, that that could be used to interpret the rest of the Constitution, and they don't want that. Um, so they were like, well, maybe we should put in a no legal effect clause, like all the state constitutions. Um, and then we got feedback that, well, maybe the High Court would read them that down, so it actually would apply. So then people were like, mm, maybe we shouldn't have a preamble, so let's just put it in the preamble to the head of power, um, which is where we landed with Section 51A, um, the the, the, the yeah. replacement power. But in any event, there, there will be no preamble. No. So we can't have a preamble because, of all, because all the legal opinion is that, A, we can't have a preamble. We, we could, have, we could have a, a statement in the Australian bit of the Constitution, but it would have to have a no legal effect clause. Then the lawyers come back and say... Oh, but the High Court will read it down as if it had an effect, so therefore you can't have a preamble. So there you go. Legal logic. So most people don't even know that our Constitution is essentially an act of the Westminster Parliament, that the Constitution sits in a glass box in Westminster, 
and that the Australian bit of the Constitution is so hard to change that only eight out of 44, is it? 44 referenda have succeeded. So here we go with the most difficult challenge of all. So our Section 51A recommendation was, you know, we had a nice preambular statement, rather too long and wordy perhaps, but a nice preambular <laughs> statement in a new Section 51A to replace Section 5126, the parliamentary lawmaking power for those people of any race. Yeah, that one over there. Um, so we, our new Section 51A has the preambular statement recognising Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, blah, 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 blah. And then Pardon power to make laws for the advancement of Aborigines and Torres Strait Islanders. And then, of course, because of Hindmarsh, the Hindmarsh Island High Court case, which was split 3-3 because Cullinan had a conflict of interest and had to pull, up, pull off the court, because of, the, because of that court case decision of the High Court in the Hindmarsh Island matter, it's interpreted now as, even though it was a split decision, that that court case gives the Australian Parliament the power to, to use Section 5126 to discriminate against Aboriginal people. So not only does it read straightforwardly as racial discrimination, the High Court says the Parliament can use it to discriminate against us. So that's the High Court interpretation. So we, we, we concluded on the advice of Megan and her team, <laughs> all right then, well, we, what we must do then is add to our recommendation of a new Section 51A, the provision that Megan mentioned before, our new 116, right, 116? 116A. 116A. That says, says what? It's a, a non-racial discrimination clause. So the Parliament shall not have the power to... Mm racially discriminate against. Well, 51A and 116A work together. Work yeah. together so that the parliament can make laws for Aborigines and Torres Strait Islanders, but not in a discriminatory way. So that's been called by the constitutional conservatives as a Bill of Rights mm. approach, which we can't have. But then on top of that, mm. see, that leaves us in the dilemma that if we don't change... 5126, we have a racist constitution, but if we do change it, we run the risk that the parliament can be even more blatantly discriminatory and may not have any power to make laws for us. So therefore, you could never amend the Native Title Act. You could never have any laws for Aborigines and Torres Strait Islanders. So we'd be in a worse position. So that's the dilemma, right? Mm. So, yeah, that's, that's why people are worried and that's why people are a bit scared of a referendum. You see the dilemma? Uh, indeed, I do. Uh, and I also see a, a, a culture right now more broadly where you asked the question in your essay, Marsha, whether our political class is even competent enough to be having this conversation. Um, but other authors also point out the, the, the atmospherics just generally in Australia at the moment are pretty, pretty, how should I put it, um, not great. And 
uh, we, we're coming out of a global financial crisis. There's a lot of fear-mongering. Uh, and the, the, the atmospherics are so... And people make the comparison to 1967. Uh, the, I'm not the, sure well, I think it's because it was, I guess it's a point of ho hopeful reference, isn't it? That people look back and say, you know, we passed a referendum, then there was complete unity uh, among, well, was it 90, 98% of Australians? It was one of the, I think it was the highest percentage ever it was, to it vote for a change was. in the, I don't think that should be just dismissed. Oh, uh, except, except Aboriginal people went to the government. Five months after that referendum. Yes. Well, this is important. Uh, well, though. this is important to and this asked, debate too, and isn't asked, it? Yeah, it is important to this yeah. debate. And ask them to do a number of things that they'd consulted with other Aboriginal people about what they wanted to do with the new head of power. And they said no. And nothing was done with it except for one minor piece of legislation. Which is why so many of the people years. writing in this book don't want to see a, refer a, a minor version of the referendum, uh, they would rather put it on hold or not do it at all, to not have Section 25 removed, uh, which would get agreement, uh, in fear that, that, that nothing more will ever happen. No, I agree with what you're saying, but I, I think there's a little bit of difference in that. 5126 wasn't insignificant, um, but unless you have political will, they're not going to do anything with it. I mean, it was only, and in, I think you would agree with me, and I hope you do, just for... Go on. Just go along with it. Um, <laughs> that in, in the history of Aboriginal rights, Indigenous rights in this country, they've only come from activism, so the tents on the lawn, and they've come from litigation. They haven't come from the goodness of the heart of the parliament. Um, and that's certainly the case post-67. Whitlam passed a number of really significant pieces of legislation um, as a consequence of very robust activism that we all are very familiar with um, in, in Canberra. And I think that's a really important point. You can put whatever you want in the constitution, but unless parliament wants to do anything with it, nothing's gonna happen. That's a bit different to 25, which is a dead letter. Yeah. So what are you going to do? <laughs> That's your question, Marcia. Well, I think... <laughs> no, Megan's a member of the Referendum Council. So, Megan, let's just go through the number of committees okay. and, and so on that have followed the expert panel report. Um, so after the expert panel's report, we had a joint select parliamentary committee... Yes, but there was legislation before that. What was yeah, that the legislation? The Act of Recognition. The Act of yeah. Recognition. And then, and then that set up... Um, I think that set up Recognise, although I think it was set up before then. And then there was a joint select parliamentary committee, which has three reports. And then there was a... The Committee of The John three. Anderson Committee. Yeah, the John Anderson Committee. And then now there's the Referendum Council. And now the Referendum Council of which you are a member, and you've just made a grand plan. So, <laughs> thanks, Marcia. Um, so the, the council is about to embark on a period of, um, I wouldn't call it consultation, but 
deliberation with Aboriginal community, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. So we will be meeting um, with th three different groups in our community across Australia um, in the next couple of, in the next month or so. So traditional owners, which are the land base or the, the, the core base of our culture, um, peaks and a group of indi influential individuals um, and talking to them about how we're going to roll out um, 18 First Nations dialogues to discuss what recognition, what meaningful recognition means to them. So that's the process we're about to embark on. Is that what you wanted? Yeah. And in order to have those consultative meetings, the first three and then the 18 mm -hmm. regional meetings leading up to a national meeting, we have to explain somehow to people what the propositions are for constitutional reform and recognition. So explaining it is the difficult part, yeah? So that, so that we have useful debates and, and, and some chance of people coming away from these meetings with uh, a consensus on what to do. And it, as you say, it could, it could very well be that most people say, well, we don't want to have a referendum, it's too risky. Yeah, it may be that Aboriginal people say they don't want one. Um, it really interested me that you mentioned Henry Parks in your essay, Marsha, because when I think about what has to be done here, um, the event that in some respects, the, 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 obviously it's, it's so different and sort of ironic, and, uh, but you could not achieve federation today. What what they did in their series of meetings and uh, public meetings and so on around Australia, uh, that that which uh, was then a series, of course, of, of smaller units, it would would not be achievable today. And in some ways, are you suggesting we exclude women? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm obviously not. I'm not judging, I'm not going into, sure. uh, obviously. Um, what I'm saying is that it was, it was an unusual thing to have done, to have made a continent into a colonising, uh, obviously. I'm not, I'm not judging the event other than to say that it was a remarkable feat that, that, that people were convinced to do it. And in some ways... What I'm saying is the challenge before all of us is as it, it, it's as great in a way. Do you, do you see the point I'm making? I mean, in some ways, I think Marsha drew on it in her work as well. So, yeah. what was the last point? About about what the way they went about doing it. See, I can't get past the fact that we needed a defence in terms of back then. Yep. Um, in terms of defence of the nation and free trade between the colony. I can't get past that stuff. And I also can't get past the fact that you're talking about men who had money and property. So, um, yeah, I, I take your point, but... The point um, is simply that it was some... That the, the, the only point I'm making is that it's something that was thought very unlikely to be achievable about persuading people, however bad many of the ideas in it were and the exclusions of so well, many people. Well, look, I think, I think what 
Henry Parks proposed to the white men of Australia uh, was a, um, a very practical proposal in most people's minds. Because, you know, if you think about the six colonies, all run essentially by the Home Office in London, which still exists, by the way. If I take youngsters to London, I walk them down the street there and <laughs> I say, that building up there, that office up there is where the Australian colonies were run from, right? So each colony had to write to the Home Office for permission. So off the letter went on a ship and then it had come, the answer would come back on a ship and none of the colonies could communicate with each other about these basically, you know, affairs of state pre-federation. And, and so they couldn't trade, they couldn't cooperate and, um, and so um, the, the division of Australia into six colonies essentially became unworkable. For, for white men, right? And so Parks proposed federation. It took 10 years to get there. But is that so extraordinary in the scheme of things? Only because, only because it looks like an Australians agreed to it, but no, that's not the case. No white Australian women were involved in this decision. Absolutely no Aborigines were involved and no people of other races were involved. And you might remember that back then the British Empire was alive and well. Well, you might know, you won't remember. Nobody here is that old except for one of my friends who's just left. Um, uh, <laughs> That's really mean. You know, you had what the British referred to as coolies. You know, people that they schlepped all over the world from India and Sri Lanka, the coolies. Uh, the Chinese, there were Chinese people in Australia. They didn't have a say, you know. It was actually an Indian man who challenged mm. Australia on voting rights for coloured people under the Constitution um, and won. Um, he, he beat them on Section 25. So uh, I was only white men who had a say. Nobody else had a say. So it wasn't that big a deal. And what, there would have been about 100 people at each of the conventions, you know? So, how well, is that extraordinary? These days, you've had more cooperation on things like the national competition policy, right? Think about that. All right, let's go back then to what next? What you've said you're going to be meeting communities in the next month, mm -hmm. then what? Well, meeting communities in the next month and then we're doing a series of constitutional deliberations over the next... Five months, I think. I guess I just, I feel like I, um, I don't, I'm interested and I'm engaged as, as much as I can be in reading, in trying to, to um, understand the dynamics of this. Um, and I, I don't, I, I feel like I've drifted from it, that I don't know what's coming, what, what might be coming uh, and where I should look towards, I mean, obviously, you two, uh, but in, in what I might expect to happen in the foreseeable future on this. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, I think at, at some point we will know what might be an agreed position from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, but 
you know, we had the expert panel report and we've had no response whatsoever from... That was 2012, wasn't yeah, it? 20, yeah, so we did it all in 2011 and it was handed down in 2012 in January. No response from either side of government. Um, and that's just kind of dragged on. Now we have the Referendum Council who is... Um, and, and, I mean, I, su I suppose partly the council is because, you know, you've had murmurings, although no formal statement, that the substantive elements of the expert panel are not acceptable to Conservatives. Um, so we have another process in which we're about to go out and actually consult with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples on a much more, I suppose, deliberative way than we did in the expert panel to see what it is that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people actually think. So I suppose one of the concern, one of the things that's happened is they set up a campaign, the government set up a campaign, a taxpayer-funded campaign um, to promote a yes case. Um, and it's known as the Recognise campaign. And the, and, and the issue with that, the issue that's, um, I suppose, aggravated the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community is that it's a campaign that's promoting a yes case without a model. So there's nothing on the table. Um, and I guess that that has led to suspicions among Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Why would you... What are you voting yes on? And I don't think that that's... You know, I, I can understand why people are upset at that. And so I think that campaign, you know, having a taxpayer-funded yes case before you actually have a model, um, has been a problem for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and their leaders in terms of trying to think about what might be meaningful reform. Um, so part of what we're doing in the next six months is to go and talk to people and say, well, what is meaningful reform to you? Here are some proposals. What do you think about that? Where, where are you at? Um, and I felt, which I think Marcia <laughs> agrees with me, that the, the conversation we had with people in, in Darwin at the Native Title Conference was a really positive one. I think we had people from across the spectrum and everybody is um, interested and, and prepared to engage in, in this because they know that it is not a minimalist form of recognition that we're proposing. I think once people hear us speak and when they hear us explain how difficult it is and how we're grappling with, you know, the very same ideas that they grapple with, they think, oh, all right, the sisters are trying to do a good job, you know. Um, that's what they're saying. That's what the good people are saying to us. Of course, we have, you know, the alienated and confused in our community as well, just like, you know, other communities have. Mm. Um, but we got very good feedback. You know, people were coming up to me and saying, I like the way you explained that. You know, I've been thinking that for a long time. Most people are thinking what we're thinking, actually. Most people in the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community are thinking what we're thinking. Um, these are not e easy issues to resolve. There are some clear pathways forward, but if both sides of politics finally get honest with the Australian community and say, we don't accept the expert panel mm -hmm. report and we're not going to put it into a question, well, good, at least we'll know that we can't take that pathway. I don't so think what the are the alternatives? Does. But they're too dishonest to do mm -hmm. that. They keep flicking the problem off to the Commission for the Future with, you know, so far over a five-year period five different strategies to deflect us, you know, to send us off into a committee room somewhere. Tony Abbott's uh, hope of a 2017 
referendum on the 50th anniversary of 67 is was always a pipe dream? Well, there have been a few people who've, who, who've, you know, convinced the political class, including Mr Abbott's office at that time, mm. that, oh, it'll be easy to get a minimalist model through. They'll settle for a minimalist model and, you know, it'll be a great photo opportunity. Yeah, I don't... Uh, Abbott didn't actually really commit to that date. He just said that is a date that's in people's mind in the same way yeah. that Turnbull hasn't. So I think... I don't, I'm not sure why journalists say that that's the date because there's nobody on no, record... No, 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 I don't think anybody's... No, everybody knows that's not the yeah. date. It's just that he floated it, that it was, it was put out It had there. been suggested yeah. to him. Yeah, well, yeah. I'll say he wasn't perhaps persuaded, but he did float it, didn't he? Mm. Yeah, to see what our reaction would be, mm. you know, deafening silence, yeah. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of Aboriginal people that don't want it on that mm. date. Mm. Uh, if you would like to ask a question, put your hand up and uh, start talking for microphones putting it. I was wondering if you could tell me why the, the circumstances around the closing of the um, embassy, the tent embassy, and I'm also thinking after Marcia said that about the flags, why... why can't you do that? Why can't the agenda be set a little bit by you and not by these political parties that are unsympathetic? Because how good would it be having the long march but with people from all different areas of Australia arriving at Canberra? Um, what was the first question? The About the tent embassy. embassy being closed fairly recently... Well, you know, the traditional owners of, of Canberra wanted the tent embassy closed. That was their decision. Because they were, you know, sick of the... Marcy. The, hmm? the trouble they caused. They, the, the traditional owners said of, of Canberra said they didn't want them there. So, you know, self-determination. Hey, the local traditional owners said so. Who are we to disagree? It was. It gets. It gets to be a problem, you know. Can you imagine the tents? You know, go up. There are more and more people. You know, you have peaks of population throughout the year, especially in the warmer months, and the whole community is is you know called upon to service these people who turn up from all over the country with no money, no jobs. And, and, you know, they expect everyone to look after them. And the Aboriginal community, you know, the traditional Aboriginal community there just were over it. They're sick of it. Well, we're going to have to flags. move. Well, well look, you know, yeah. look, people do have their own flags. Uh, I saw the Wiradjuri one the other day at the Native Title Conference. Um... And they do, some people do fly their own flags at, you know, say, uh, um, on special days and at special events. Um, or they have their own symbols. You know, one, what's very fashionable in the Aboriginal community is to have your own ranger team with your own totemic symbols on the ranger uniforms. And, you know, there are other ways of doing all of that as well. So people do it. It's just not as flashy and as you know, military warrior society style as in the United States. 
good evening. Can you hear me all right? Yes. I'm a long way down the back. Um, uh, I studied Australian history in secondary and tertiary levels. That was 50 years ago. Six months ago, I read a book called Dark Emu. The author of that was interviewed by uh, John Fain on 774 last week. It wasn't until I read that book that I realised that everything I had learned about Aboriginal history had been absolute lies. The author of that book set out to show that, that uh, the uh, Aborigines were, were disenfranchised from their land by the colonists in a way that was an absolute crime. But, uh, that's the first point. The second point is we'll uh, politicians... I'll be very quick. Very politicians quick. are not leaders, they're followers. Until Australians understand the crimes that were perpetuated against the Aborigines, I have real fear that we won't see real change and justice for the Aboriginal peoples. All right, we're going to take that as a comment. Would either of you like to respond? No disagreement. Thank you. Anyone else? Come on. Yep, down the back there. Be brave. Yes. Hello. Um, my question is based on you mentioned um, that we are really still acting under um, <clears throat> the British Parliament. Um, how related do you think the issue of becoming a republic is to the issue of recognition? I think that's a really good question. Where are you? Yeah, I can't see that. Yeah. Where? In the middle. Oh. There we are. Oh, hi. Mm. <laughs> um, I think that's a really good question and there is a chapter in the book. Is it Tara Teela uh, Reed. Teela Reed. Yeah. So, so we, we find a lot of young Aboriginal um, and Torres Strait Islander kids, um, children, no, young adults, <laughs> sorry, I always get in trouble for using the word kids, and, um, and young Australian uh, people um, connect recognition to... The Republic, um, and so I think I think that's an important question because um, I don't know. About ten years ago, we were saying that there was a kind of um, in a lot of the literature around the Australian Republic movement that you needed to get a republic up first, and then you would deal with Aboriginal issues after. And, and there were a lot of young Aboriginal scholars at the time, including me, saying, well, no, then you will never deal with the Aboriginal issues. Um, and, and now there's a growing kind of um, feeling that Aboriginal issues or settlement, at least, a settlement, which we haven't really discussed here, um, needs to be dealt with before you become a republic. So, I, I mean, I'm not answering your question in any satisfactory manner, other than to say I think that they probably are. If it is the case that this recognition project does isn't concluded uh, in the next few years, there is a very strong case to say that perhaps it is dealt with when we uh, contemplate becoming a republic, which I'm sure is something that is inevitable. Teela's uh, essay is really... You, you should get the book and, and read it. She's the only person who mentions the word republic, I think, in the whole book, uh, which is, is interesting. Is, is, that a, so brief. is that a 
a real option as a way to look at this Megan? going forward? Yeah, I mean, potentially. I mean, you could attempt to kind of in some ways repatriate the Constitution and then in doing that, something similar to what happened in Canada, open up the Constitution for things. I mean... Malcolm Turnbull himself says that there's real, really serious problems with the way our federation operates. And I think people have known that for a very long time. Um, But it's a very difficult constitution to amend, as we've just discussed. Um, I am not going to be devastated if this project isn't resolved um, in the way people see it should be or might be, it may be the case that we can deal with it uh, in relation to a republic. When the Republican debate took place, some of us were very worried that if Australia became a republic in the terms that it was being discussed then, you know, you'll remember the question, you know, Australians should be able to vote for their own president, mm. right? And, you know, you'll remember that at that time Pauline Hanson was becoming very popular. She is again. And she is again now. So, you know, some of us were terrified that Australians would vote her in as president. Australia would become a a republic and, you know, an isolated white nationalist state Mm. at the bottom of the earth um, cut off from the rest of the world. You know, it could have gone that way. Mm. So, you know, I was personally terrified of that possibility. Um, and, you know, he, as, as you pointed out earlier, Sally, we, we, we have some pretty bad atmospherics. And just on that, for instance, you know, when you raise the issue of uh, racism in the Constitution with many politicians, they say, now, Marcia, we need to keep it there because we've got to deal with all these Muslims. And you say to them, well... <laughs> You know, Islam's a religion, not a race. No, it's a race, Marcia. I just want to point out to you. Um, and, and then you say to them, well, actually, you know, there are white Muslims. Did you know that? No, Marcia, I don't think so. Well, do you remember the Kosovo <laughs> refugees? It took you a while to wake up to the fact that they were Muslims. So they were white, remember? You thought they were Christians at first because they were white. Anyway, I said, you know, like, uh, there are, there's Islam on every continent on earth. No, Marcia. Um, you know, you're dealing with such pig ignorance about, you know, what's a race, who's in a race, you know, is that a race? I mean, can you imagine one of these dipsticks trying to legislate on race and they, they, they you know, if they don't use the external affairs power, which is, you know, most, you know, which is what's been used in our case, and they try to use the race power to say stop Ethiopians from living in housing commission flats in Carlton or something, and somebody's going to come along and challenge them. Like, every lawyer in the country will put their hands up to challenge them on Ethiopians being a race, right? You know, are the Basque people a race? You know? So, it's such a ridiculous concept when the DNA of the human species has been mapped... It's a ridiculous concept, right? The scientific community is more interested in, you know, genetic triggers than they are in racial characteristics. Racial characteristics have been out for, like, 50 years. Uh, 
So the, the debate here in Australia about all of this is so mm. dumb. I don't think you can even put mm. the Republic question, which is a pretty <laughs> serious question given the problems of federalism, in with the whole business of removing racialism from our constitution. I just, I, I think we've got to continue to educate people. Now look, think about this, Bill Shorten's party, the ALP, are committed to legislating for marriage equality within first, the first 100 days if they win government, right? They can't make a clear and unequivocal statement about acknowledging our existence. We've been here for 70,000 years, hello. But they can, you know, promise to legislate for marriage equality within 100 days of government. And we've heard nothing for five years, nothing at all on constitutional acknowledgement or recognition. So why not? Because this tiny 2% of the population looms large in the Australian imagination because of the historical issues that the man up the back raised. And people are too embarrassed, too guilt-ridden, too disturbed by the whole problem to deal with it honestly. I think the big problem here is a lack of honesty, a lack of courage, and it's not our problem. We've laid it all out very, very clearly in the expert panel report, and I get idiot responses, idiot responses from the political class. Mm. So no point in asking us what to do next. I mean, we'll go away and we'll do another few years of work and we'll come back with a straightforward answer and everybody will still run around and float another committee for us poor fools yeah. to serve on. I, I'm sorry, I'm becoming no, extremely no, no, you're not, pessimistic but it, I mean, I do, I do now, a, but, you know. I think it's an important point, and that is there are very important people in this country who are nervous at getting rid of 5126. So people might think it's Aboriginal people, but it's not, because they feel like they might lose a power under the Constitution to deal with asylum seekers and, and Muslims. I think that's a very important point to make. I feel like we have just got started. <laughs> and our time is up. Thank you both for coming to the Wheeler Centre. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that wraps up this week's episode of The Fifth Estate. If you're looking for more perspectives on the constitutional recognition of Indigenous Australians, head to wheelercentre.com. You'll find talks like this one from our Question Time series last year. But at the end of the day, we do need a voice, at an, a very strong Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice at the national level. One day we will become a republic. And when we do, we have a fantastic opportunity to really show our maturity as a nation. And there'll be a whole lot of things that we could deal with in that context. Find out more about The Fifth Estate at wheelercentre.com. Leave us a rating or review in your podcast app of choice and take good care. Bye.